you find yourself in a waiting room and there will be like a version of Judge Judy. My dad watches so much Judge Judy and I can't, I cannot handle it. Does he watch the new Judge Judy show? Maybe, I don't know. Justice, I think it's called. It's on one of the streaming platforms. I, I saw an ad for it and I was like, that can't be real. I mean, it's definitely not streaming, so no. Mm. How jump are y'all this? doing? Happy birthday, Jeremy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the, yeah. the official day is on Friday, but I uh, thought this was a good uh, good time to throw in this ridiculous Yay. piece of important cinema right here. I'd never seen it yeah. before, so I'm glad. I- oh, I'm so happy. This oh, is a pretty goodness. important one for me to cross off the list. Yes, I'm glad that you have come here with us. I'm all, all out right. of bubble gum. That's all I have. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. (laughs) Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, it's my birthday, so for once, we're going to watch a movie with a real message. Now hold on to your butts. It's time to talk about They Live. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary. My co-host, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? I have never seen a movie that has aged both so fantastically and been so prescient, and yet also aged so horrifically at the same time. It couldn't be more 80s. They live in the same New York as the Ninja Turtles, I swear. And it's but not it's even all New Los York. Angeles. Yeah. yeah. This is a movie with the political message of capitalism is exploitative. Oligarchs will use controlled media to sow dissent and beware for true societal psychological ops. And also, don't trust women and valorize mass shooters. Yeah, it, it's a I real mean, scatterboard of like bullseye and what mass the fuck. shooters was like not a thing at the point that this movie came out, which I think is is the a point against thing. it. Like it's. Not... I know, I know. It might be that there's so much that is tr- so true today that it throws you off. Where it's like, oh, you did not realize how uncomfortable this workplace shooting imagery would be in 1988. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And of course, our co-host, the cinnamon roll of Cenobites, Emily Martin. Emily, how are you tonight? I'm good. I'm considering just changing all of my artist statements, LinkedIn profile, all that stuff to the descriptor, gay abandoned rushes to meet the roaring 90s. Just to describe myself and my style, a line that was not reproduced in the subtitles, and that's a crime. Yeah, sadly. uh... I watched this movie on YouTube and found it impossible (laughs) to watch with the subtitles on because the subtitles are constantly 12 seconds behind the movie. Oh, shit. Oh, no. I watched this movie on digital video disc, a thing on which I own this film. Oh, damn. Wow. You getting fucking fancy. Yeah. It doesn't have subtitles. (laughs) I watched it on Amazon Prime where it did have subtitles, but the subtitles deviated significantly from the actual dialogue, especially when it came to swears. There were a lot less swears. No subtitle experience for me will ever top when I watched Death Race 2000, like the original, like 70s one. Back when YouTube had like auto-generated subtitles. Oh, they still have those. At no point in the movie do the subtitles recognize Sylvester Stallone's lines Mm -hmm. as human speech. (laughs) Well, I mean... Not that they get them wrong, that no subtitles whatsoever appear when he is talking. It just does not recognize that there are sounds happening that it needs to describe. (laughs) I can't imagine it was much better with Jason Statham. It's probably just like lots of question yeah. marks, English grunting. Uh, ben, you said this was I your will. first time uh, watching They Live. I know Emily and I have yes. seen it before. What are what are your sort of immediate impressions of They Live? What an absolutely delightful, over-the-top, hilarious, just like love of movie making, 
that also hits so deep in my soul and just blocks every bit of cynicism and makes me go, oh, we're fucked. We're so <laughs> fucked. It's a little idiocracy like that. 1988 and everything's just gotten worse. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Except what I will say about this movie is this movie is very sure that it has absolutely no gay subtext. Except it really loves a shirtless Rowdy Roddy Piper. And Keith David and, and Roddy, Roddy Piper it? like cohabitating, you know, and having like a very heart to heart moment with each other in a hotel room that they get together. Also, okay, in terms of queer content, like Roddy has that line where it's like, ain't love grand after they check into the hotel. So I'm not sure if that's homophobic or I don't know what that was. Like, I wasn't sure how to interpret that line. Also, you will never fucking convince me that Holly's neighbors, the mustachioed open Hawaiian shirt wearing that next door, aren't like just the living it up gay couple. Yeah. I mean, I mean bless. Hollywood Hills, baby. Yeah, for real. Yeah, just the fucking 80s Hollywood gays. Yeah. yeah no. Now we, uh, I mean, usually we do a whole like synopsis and talk about what happens in the movie. I think the important thing to say about this is that it is written and directed by John Carpenter. It is based on a short story from the 60s by Ray Nelson called Eight O'Clock in the Morning. So I'm guessing it was almost as subtle in the 80s as it is now. And <laughs> it is a movie. I mean, it is a movie. It is a movie. Um, but it is a movie about how uh, the upper elites are stealthily controlling you by putting subliminal messages in all of your entertainment. And in this case, they're actually aliens, except for some of them are people working with the aliens that are happy to help bring you know the rest of us oh, down. Yes. Yeah. One of this movie's important themes is that not all skin folk are kin folk or human folk are. Well, those guys that didn't have folk. skin. Yeah. So I mean, I'm talking are... more of the humans that the humans oh, yeah, that right, they constantly right. get betrayed by the normal humans. So yeah, this but, is yeah. the most literal term, not all skin folk or kinfolk, because yeah, it's like skin versus without skin. I mean, it's an anti-capitalism movie. I mean, it's very good and very anti-oligarch movie. And it's yeah. very good at showing the the alluring corruptiveness of capitalism. Yeah. I, I think it's important to say outright that in the early two thousands some uh, neo-Nazi assholes tried to co-opt this movie as it being about Jews secretly running the world. And John Carpenter straight up came online and was like, this is about Reaganomics, you stupid assholes. Go away. Yeah, that could not him. be clear. Good Again, as team Jewish person, there is nothing remotely anti-Semitic in the movie whatsoever. Yeah, all Fuck the David Icke, man. All the aliens that we see in human form are all white. Like super waspy aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Like waspy to the extreme. Like, you know, their hair is feathered and quaffed. Yeah. And mostly now, blonde. We do need to talk I about mean, I... the stars of this movie because they're amazing. This is <laughs> yes. one of this is one of a handful and perhaps the only good movie in which the professional wrestler Rowdy Roddy Piper stars. And boy, that man loved this movie till the day he died. As well he should. It's fantastic. Also, he's in some absolute bangers of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episodes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh yeah. He plays, the, he plays a professional wrestler with some demons aimed at the, mani the maniac. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't sound like too far. He's only in a few episodes, but Every time he appears, he is just amazing. I will say, I mean, Roddy has some like weird politics that he's he's not entirely clear on because like he has been asked about how he feels about the politics of this movie, and he said that he loves the movie. He's been asked how he feels about you know other political stuff in the past, and he's basically said like, "Listen, I don't have any right to talk about American politics. I'm from fucking Saskatoon, Saskatchewan." <laughs> like, I got nothing to say about it, but, you know, I, I love this movie. I love what it's saying. I think my favorite thing about this movie is when he got cast in this movie by John Carpenter, his boss at the WWF, now WWE, Vince McMahon, told him he could not do this movie 
he told him he needed to find another movie that Vince would find a movie that paid him twice as much to do. And Roddy told him he could go fuck himself and let himself get fired and then went out and did this movie. And then he's been very vocal about the fact that when he ended up coming back, he got paid four times what he did before. Nice. Hell yeah. Nice. I mean, he is singularly delightful in this. Like so much of what sells this movie is like serious yet fun tone. Like, I'm not sure if it's quite camp, but it takes itself so seriously in a silly way. And so much of that is just the energy that Roddy Piper brings. That, And I don't think any other actor at the time could bring this very singular energy that he does to the movie. So we're saying things like singular energy. And I want to be perfectly clear about Mr. Rowdy and his performance. It is campy. He delivers these quips with about the same cadence as like some AI do. But the biggest difference is that you know that his heart is in it. Honestly, the most convincing like actual delivery, like, I mean, he's a wrestler and he is, he's being a cartoon character. And that's, what's important about this movie. Like other movies. We're still far away from Dave Bautista hitting the acting scene. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, like, honestly, if I'm going to be brutally honest about this, like, I could have even gone for something more campy and crazy. Like if it was Randy Savage and he was like, oh, yeah, run out of bubble gum. Like that kind of shit. What if ultimate warrior made they live? But he's a cartoon character and that's fine. And it's just really funny. Jeremy just made the biggest cringe face when I mentioned ultimate warrior. I mean, ultimate warrior was a super right wing crackhead who died of of doing too much (laughs) cocaine. Who I happened to love when I was the age that I saw this movie the first time. But like Hulk Hogan has turned out to be a real dipshit as he got older. He's dead now. So unlike Hulk Hogan, he can't continue to do stupid shit every day. But yeah, he's... Oh, God. But yeah, so... so, Did I be laughing this much? No, it's fine. I think it's... I think it's hilarious. You you were talking about the cartoon characterishness of him. And I think yes. one of the things you're referring to and one of the things that people know best from this movie is the line he says when he walks into the bank with the shotgun and he says, I came here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. My favorite fact is that, that is not in the script of this movie is that like he needed to Incredible. deliver a one liner here. And so he and John Carpenter sat down and went through Roddy's notebook where he'd written down shit for his character to say in the ring in wrestling. And like, they found that as like one of his things he'd written down. And John Carpenter was like, I love that. That's perfect for the movie. And so they where, put it okay. in the movie. What did that come from him? Yeah. It comes okay, from Rowdy so Rowdy Piper. That's, that's, that's important. It's really important. Y'all. This is a cultural touchstone. This is you're witnessing the birth of a meme here, like and a serious also, birth just of a straight meme. Straight up. A meme. Funny. a straight up iconic film moment yeah and but like um, again which he's like i just want to say he's acting opposite keith david who is like an actor and it's see? really funny because he's like you can see keith david like trying really hard to act <laughs> and rowdy rowdy piper is like oh yeah <laughs> this sunglasses yeah because like, that's a bitch and she's in heat Seeing Keith David in 1988 has made me realize Keith David has never been baby a day in his life. Yeah, because this is like a year after the thing. Like John Carpenter made the thing, put Keith David in that, and he liked him so much that he was like, hey, you want to be this character in this movie too? Roddy's part was written for Kurt, and he was just like, you've been in my last four movies. I got to find somebody else to be the hero of this movie. So that's out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he also, got Roddy like, Piper. Again, at what age did Keith David get that voice? Like, at this point, I'm just I, imagining 12-year-old Keith David already starting to have a goatee with that voice. <laughs> He's never had hair. Keith it's David just... has never been baby a day in his life. Yeah, Mother, I'm going to be late <laughs> to school. 
It's like the okay, the baby force Whitaker stitch from the key and feel. Goo goo gaga. Goo goo gaga. Yeah, and you know, for the fact that like Keith David is an actor with like a capital A, that he's so down for this movie. Yeah, but like him and Roddy like actually choreographed this fight scene themselves. This fight scene okay, is supposed fight to be scene. 30 seconds. It's supposed so to be good. 30 seconds in the script. And they not only choreographed it, they're actually hitting each other. Like with the yeah. exception of like the punches to the face and the groin, they're actually hitting each other. And like, you know, the two of them like went to fucking John Carpenter's backyard and worked this shit out. And I love that. Like it I is one of my that favorite fight scenes I've ever seen. It goes okay, on so it, long. Yeah. And that's what makes it great. That it just and also that it goes on for so long and it contributes nothing to the plot. And then it's the character development on these takes. sunglasses. Yeah, that's their conversation. No. And like that, and then cue a six minute fight scene that puts way too much recent superhero fare to shame. Listen. They okay, first of all, they go through this fight scene. They're like about to kill each other in a certain minute. And then like the next scene, they're checking into a motel with each other, like all fucked up. And that's love, baby. Like that's character development. That's an arc. After like the first 30 seconds, like every 10 seconds that go by, you're waiting for one of these guys to just be like, what the fuck are we doing? Fine, give me the fucking sunglasses. Well, they, they but start they laughing, and it just keeps. Going. Oh, when Keith David like reaches out his hand to help him up, and then hits him again, and the fight goes on for another two minutes. So good, amazing. So good. To Carpenter's credit, it's just like it's a like, or I don't know, just like cinematographer's credit, it's well shot. It is yeah. just basic, like, hey, we're going to put the camera a far enough distance away to show both your bodies, and then y'all are just going to do your crazy choreography, and we're just not, and we're just going to have the camera roll, and we'll do a cut, like, every 20 seconds or so. Yeah. But otherwise, we're just going to let you, we're just going to capture just this fucking no-holds-barred be like, bare knuckle brawl from two men who have no ill feelings towards each other. Yeah, you know, again, this movie has about as much subtlety as this fight scene. Just the love and crap and balls to the wallsness of this six-minute fight scene between the two main protagonists Yeah, that serves no plot and just their willingness to say, fuck it, let's go hard. I, w- I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes a movie a cult classic. I will say that the most, like, natural feeling, like, non-cartoony, like, real human acting point in this movie from Roddy Roddy Piper is when Keith David smashes the bottle and it fucks up, like, the prop bottle gets smashed wrong or whatever, and he starts laughing it. That was good, but okay, so here's... I love when Roddy first goes for a nut shot and Keith David starts just, like, fucking calling him out for dirty fighting. And then, like, Keith David hits him in the nuts, like, five times in a row. Well, by that point, Roddy, like, once Roddy opened the door to that, like, you know. Yeah, well, Keith Keith David was like, I didn't start this shit, but I'm gonna finish it. He did, but that was the energy, but that was the attitude he had. The, Roddy's character in this movie is consistently like indestructible too. Like the fucking the girl like throws him out of like a third story window onto a fucking like hypodermic needle covered hillside in L.A. and he Ew. just walks off. He, he survives the movie That's- somehow. Well, he doesn't. The- he gets exploded at the end. Spoilers. Yeah, he explodes, but then we cut to after the exploding. He's like, yeah, fucking still here, flipping you off. Yeah, I mean, he's, I'm pretty sure he's dead. I love that, like, his last action of this movie is to give them, like, literally give them the finger. Yeah. Roddy Piper is too dumb to die in this movie. I'm a little pissed. Like, I I am, my head canon is that he is dead because so is Keith David. 
And then that's less problematic, as Roddy is dead and Keith David's dead. Together Keith in David. heaven. They're together so in heaven looking over us. Roddy is acting and line delivery. Fucking the chew bubblegum and kick ass. Iconic. Can we appreciate that he brings just as, if not more, gravitas and action movie one liners to the line, I ain't daddy's little boy no more? If gravitas is the word attempted gravitas yeah i feel like deliberateness like all of his line readings are very deliberate that is the like delivered with all the confidence like he's attempting to capture arnold schwarzenegger saying i lied in commando yeah and what i'm learning is you can't have the phrase daddy's little boy in an action one-liner no, I, I mean, it's... there's a lot of challenges that he attempts. And, you know, I think that, like, it's important to shoot for the stars. I mean, we talk uh, a lot about, like, stage actors being in film and how they stage act and stuff. This is a man who is used to delivering most of his lines to a chanting live audience before dropping the microphone and punching somebody in the face. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. honestly, you, you can see that WWE in his acting. Which is one reason why the fight scene is so great. It's where his natural skills actually get to shine. And, like, I mean, his ability to just sell this fight. Like, this is just so believable as two men for no goddamn reason at all. Giving everything they have to just the carnal pleasure of pummeling another man with their fists. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, it's pretty consensual, I think, in a certain in a, a certain point. Oh, 100%. This is absolutely a consensual fight. Both of these men have dozens of opportunities to stop punching each other, and at no point do they choose to do so. They're like, they're is... wrapped in this in the process of punching each other. They are this is how they communicate. It is This art is some form. like stuff that would be like it's not gay. It's like the Spartans they'd be like, "Ah, let me tell you Spartans some stuff about the Spartans." And they'd be yeah. like, "We don't want to hear it." Yeah, well, you know, if you don't want to hear it doesn't mean that it's not true. I do want to really quick, for the benefit of our listeners that have not seen They Live, I am going to recap this movie. Go watch uh, it. Rowdy, well, first, you, go watch it. listener who hasn't, go watch it. Okay, but it basically, Rowdy Roddy Piper, did. he plays a guy named George Nada or something. Out of, they don't really say his name in the movie. It's just, yeah, he, he does, is he has no name in the movie. is Nada. The character... And he's based on from the short story named George Nada. Okay. But I, I think Nada is like, you know, doesn't really matter what his name is. He is as every man as it gets. Yes. He is a, a modern hobo who rolls up on a train with his backpack and is looking for work. He's got a perfectly feathered mullet. He arrives at the local construction yard, meets Keith David, follows Keith David to a uh, camp where f- folks are squatting. And a lot of very well-groomed folks, but they do have food and and showers there. And the nearby church is making magical sunglasses that show everyone that, like, the world is run by aliens. And then Roddy Roddy Piper finds out that, and then he's like, oh, they're aliens. And it very, very quickly escalates to him finding every alien and shooting it. Yeah, and then we, we find out that not only, with these, not only can you see that some of these people are aliens disguised by some sort of signal that they're putting out, but also all of our media just has underlying signs under it that say things like obey watch tv buy things the money literally says money or this is your god on it <laughs> it's very subtle yeah. Uh, oh yeah it's so artistically like nuanced i i do love the concept of roddy's character though just like this almost stepping out of like our ideas of the great depression americana like the great america and like nomadic laborer who believes in rock flag and eagle like he has lines about how like he believes like if he just works hard and follows the rules then this country will take care of him and even the country's like dude we've been through eight years of reaganomics that is not gonna fucking happen yeah and you know i mean that's the thing is that he doesn't doesn't take a lot for him to be convinced like oh i'm wrong Oh fuck! Okay, well, it's on now. I'm all out yeah. of bubblegum. Like it is, it is crazy how you look at this. You think about like NAFTA and Clinton, and you think of it as a little more of like a 21st century problem. But fuck! And here's 1988, and here's a movie where 
what a main character, one of the, like the major supporting characters backstory is deindustrialization is fucking over middle class Americans in the Midwest. I mean, I mean like the men that pop up on the TV that are hacking the TV literally say that they are like slowly whittling down the middle class and yeah. you know, everybody is the rich are taking more and more and everybody else is getting poor, which is like literally a thing that's been in every presidential debate since then. And like, it's yeah, still this scene in particular, right? Where like, okay, there's the church that's making magic sunglasses that helps you see the stuff. But to get to that, they literally bulldoze a homeless encampment. Yes. Which is like yes, a thing important. that happens every fucking day still. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I watched that and I'm like, you don't even need like those sunglasses and the resistance. <laughs> like they would have just bulldozed that anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like that's that happened recently here for in county, like really like in Sausalito. Yeah. I think it's the Sausalito. very first line of the movie the very fucking first line of smoking dialogue in this movie is don't apply for food stamps computer hour we're out of food stamps so don't even try getting help yeah yeah there's yeah. There's, there's a lot of like silence over this godforsaken bass riff that plays through half of this movie but there's oh, a lot of like all of the movie not, the entire movie <laughs> there's a lot of not much else going on in the first half except for him looking at all of the bad stuff that's going on and it just feels like he could be walking from scene to scene going uh, things are tough all over <laughs> which is funny doesn't. because this movie th- this bass riff this like keyboard saxophone bluesy and bass, bass riff yeah yeah i'm pretty sure it's the is is listed by square i guess they were square soft at the time to be the slum music for final fantasy 7 like a pretty amazing sh- that is the that. exact thing they play when you're going around and you're seeing you're talking to NPCs and they're like all like times are tough. And this is not this is not unique to uh, this movie. All citizens of Midgard are really Roddy Piper. Well, that's what you have to impress when you do all the squats. Is there's Roddy Roddy's there, and then you have Barrett, who's well, he's based on Mr. T, but you know, man, he's a Keith David. I, you do got to give a credit yeah. for Roddy. Like he is just hanging out that construction site shirtless, and it's like, yeah. You're definitely a pro wrestler. Yeah. I mean, and he's, got a, he's got a better body than most pro wrestlers at the time because I think, you know, 80s was a lot more like they've got big arm muscles and then just like a, you know, a keg in the middle. And like, yeah, yeah. dude, this this ripped. He's got like, oh, this dude, he's he's looking good in uh, jeans and a mullet and nothing else. Yeah. Got big he naturals. can crack a he can crack walnuts in those biceps. I mean, this he's rocking I don't, it. I don't know if you guys remember, like when we had Lan on here, he talked about meeting Rowdy Rowdy Piper and him like putting him in the sleeper hold. Now yes. he was gonna pretend to be knocked out, and how like and then he actually Roddy literally put him in the sleeper hold and like clenched, and he doesn't remember anything after that. Like, <laughs> and then he was on the floor. <laughs> oh my I, god! I believe it with those muscles. Holy fuck! Yeah. So do we want to, I want to ask a question to the forum. Okay. Yes. This movie did predict, I mean, life imitates art, imitates life. Right. So, I mean, if it did predict, it certainly inspired things like drones everywhere. Apple watch and security drones. Yep. Like, well, for, I, I'm pretty sure Shepard Fairey. Well, I saw feel this. like she, I'm pretty sure Shepard Fairey got the ideas from this. Yeah, yeah, which is really hilarious to me because then Shepard Fairey took that idea and then applied it to Obama, and then yeah, I'm sure it did. Yes. Yeah. and but that works. Which is like, yeah, if you think about it, like, yeah. So it all comes back to the drones, is what you're saying. And Andre the Giant, Shepard Fairey's work started with the Obey. With a picture of Andre yes. the Giant, a.k.a. Andre the Giant has a posse. I mean, so, I feel like this movie was just very, I mean, I feel like Carpenter was just very aware of how fucked Reaganomics were. And we kind of haven't ever escaped Reaganomics 40 years later. So it's just like, is it prescient or are we just still trapped in the same political nightmare that he was I think in 1988? I think it's the latter. You know, I think that movies like this need to happen because obviously being subtle 
doesn't change a lot no. in, some, in some cases. Like this movie was as unsubtle as you can get. And unfortunately, you know, we did get Shepard Fairey and, you know, there's that. Apple Watch movie, can be cool. Where but... I think this movie was a thousand percent ahead of its time and totally predicted a trend. This movie was ahead of the curve in horror in liminal spaces. Did y'all yes. notice that? How like they, that backstage, they very well utilized liminals that these beings exist from liminal space. Yeah, they, they come from basically the back rooms. But this is yeah. long before the back room. This is like this is, you know, parking garage back rooms instead of like the convention center part that's not being used for the convention back rooms that you get lost in and like fucking dissociate. I, I will mind. say the back rooms back rooms does have a better design versus oh shit i definitely got lost in the javits center <laughs> well the background also has like fucking print monsters that come after you but that's different spoilers for the backgrounds um yeah, so I, I think basically like he runs away from this bulldozing and and comes back to find a pair of these glasses and then realizes that when he puts them on he can see who the aliens are he can see what the real subliminal messages are behind everything he goes a little crazy and says some shit to people who look like aliens about how ugly they are. And then I, him just openly insulting this old lady to her face. And he jumps store. to the insult. Like he straight up jumps to the insult. He's not like, are you okay? Where'd your skin go? He's just like, holy he, shit. You're like putting a wig on a pig or something. And I'm like, he calls Dude. her formaldehyde face. Which is like, I don't know how that works, but I mean, it's Points for creativity. Yeah, um, it's 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 wild. And you know, then he, he proceeds to go to the bank and just start shooting all of the, you know, alien people who are at the bank. That he he sees one of them use his little watch to to tell on him, and then use it to teleport. That's a whole wild thing. He then decides yeah, that he Chekhov's has to like teleporter. He has to recruit Keith David. He has to like get his brother uh, in shirtless construction back to help him figure all this shit out so he tries to force him to put glasses on and they have a five minute fight about it in an alleyway <laughs> incredible yeah like, yeah and that's not i know we've talked folks. so much about it but again like the whole like the alien faces and what they look like i knew that was coming i'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass i knew that line was coming i knew the shootouts were coming that there was this uninterrupted six-minute fist fight between two men for no goddamn reason was an absolute surprise and again one of those chokes just how long it is it's one of those things where like as it keeps going it starts funny then it stops being funny and then it comes back around to being fucking hilarious like the death of Kauru, except opposite yeah it's such a good scene. All the timing in this movie, like the timing is so awkward with, with Roddy's like delivery <laughs> that I feel like and it's great. Yeah. Like all the timing in this movie is hilarious. He's like the Roddy. Timing. Yeah. Roddy plays this character as a man who has already taken at least two head injuries. He's all in a bubble gum. I, the other line that I did not know, and I'm kind of happy also hasn't become as meme worthy is life's a bitch and she's back in heat yeah i don't know what the fuck that's supposed to mean I that really was some of those lines were mm, choices yeah there's some things in this movie that lingering on them is not great you know like there's the there's the mass shooter element to it which is like oh after an age well i again you do got to give it that like that was not a right big yeah. societal concern that was not like imagery people were aware they had to be careful about in 1988 like, yeah it absolutely is something that hasn't aged well but it's also not something i necessarily hold against the movie you know yeah, what I'm i not, mean I, that's a blind spot that's un that's understandable for the movie yeah. i yeah. the other thing overall about this... i am in the i am in favor of the message of like fucking guillotine the ray like let's get <laughs> some like oligarchs are out of control let's start making shit uncomfortable is a message I'm in okay. favor of. It's just the specific venue of workplace mass shooters. How there's could they have known? Issues. Yeah, there's some context I mean, yeah. issues. I think to Roddy's credit, with one exception, he never kills anybody who isn't an alien. 
Like, and that exception is well earned. Yes, because they yes. are definitely, you know, not kinfolk. We, oh, we no, actually, he is I very totally careful skipped about over that. talking about Holly, who like Holly Thompson. He, yeah, he kidnaps a woman who's going back to her car, who turns out to be the like producer at this TV station that's putting out all these signals. And she is totally okay, definitely human, but pretty obviously from the moment she uh, shows up is not cool. No, she's <laughs> and, not Yali. I love between like Kirstie Alley's this, between this movie and Videodrome. There's like this persistent late eighties like eighties theme of like television is an inherently corrosive, distract like just tool of consumerism devoid of artistic merit and that's the one thing these movies did not predict is just like the real cultural 180 we've made on television well the one thing that's of, of interest to me in that regard is there is a a segment where they are we are listening to a film critic who looks a little bit like gene siskel who is talking about that damn john carpenter and okay i love that I George Romero. He name dropped himself and Romero. And Romero. Yeah. But like, here's the thing. It's like, yo, John, I know you've been here since Halloween or whatever, but isn't it a bit early to be so self-referential? I mean, I don't know. Like, especially like in this movie, that's like super meta and super self-referential. And it's like the budget of this film is like $2. I don't think it actually is, but it certainly looks like it. Everything comes across great. By now, he had made Escape from New York, The Thing, Starman, and Big Trouble in Little China. Well, you think about the effects in Big Trouble in Little China and The Thing. And then you watch this movie and, you know, the effects that we get are rubber mask that is barely integrated into its wearer. And the super still shots of the sunglasses vision, which are all, the, I mean, it still comes across like, it's it's just so surprising to me because you see how late this is I, in John I Carpenter's also did not career. Until now that John Carpenter is still alive. Oh yeah. So you, John Carpenter. He said, I have to say something. He was interviewed recently and he said one of the most like badass, hilarious things I've ever heard about horror. Someone was asking him, like, how do you feel about elevated horror? And he's like, What the fuck are you talking about? And they're like, you know, A24. And he's like, I'm not familiar. That was like God bless. I feel water. like I feel like utter when it comes to the elevated horror debate, I feel beyond numb from it because we're all folks with a comic book background, and we have already been through the whole. It's not a comic book; it's a graphic novel. Yes, fucking and we are, and we're, I'm like, I'm not doing this again. Get fucked. <laughs> I've been through this. Yeah, yeah. No, it's horror. No, it's horror. It's fuck. It's fucking horror. We can put droning on it. At what point, when the UFO alien is digesting Stephen Young, does it become elevated? <laughs> so Holly also her other major acting role is appearing as Evil Lynn in Masters of the Universe. She has amazing eyeballs, though. Like, I know, though, I figure why she was she gets cast because she has this really cool. I mean, she's hot, but like she's also and you know, she's got that like femme fatale thing going on. But she has some cool ass eyeball. Yes, yeah. the movie really doesn't give her much to work with. Like, if there is one legitimate flaw, it is that like, I do y'all think this movie is a feminist movie? Because I think it is not. No, but I think the take that it has on masculinity like almost goes so far that it comes back around because it's so like over the top with these two dudes like learning how to love each other through Roddy I mean Roddy is one of filmmaking's great himbos in this movie yeah I don't think this I honestly don't think that this movie's feminist there's some some hard lines in this movie that, that certainly like fall short of anything meaningful in that arena but, I mean, it does, like, attempt to discuss racial social justice and stuff like that under the blanket of class and all that. I mean, it's... It does before... address how oligarchs use differences to keep general masses divided and yeah. unaware. 
unaware of their and unaware of the degree of their exploitation. Yeah, I mean, when Roddy and Keith David are bunking together, they do talk about how fucked up it is that these overlords are making them hate each other, you know, which I think is it's also one of the more like heartfelt scenes in the film. Jeremy just shared with us the IMDb apparently was listening in, telling him to obey and recommending Judy Justice. Judge Judy's new show on Freevee. I'm a Freevee. Well, it's free. I will say I was looking this movie up on Googs, on Google. And <laughs> I've never heard it referred to as Googs, but I want to only call it Googs from now on. I got I it from that. We Bear Bears. Like We Bear Bears does this thing where it calls it Googs. And then Griffin McElroy plays. Um, I know We Bear Bears. Yeah, but you, you know the I don't. I only know the show exists. I haven't actually okay. seen it. Okay. Well, it's the whole thing. Like Louis I'm not Sean actually that hip. I'm not with it. You're hip in ways that I'm not hip. I I am a millennial ass millennial. I mean, I'm 40. So listen, every time I go on Discord, I feel like my bones are falling apart out of my body. But okay, so I was going on Google and I was looking at this. Like the one lady from the old from the beach that makes you old. Don't I don't want to talk about that. Oh yeah, Futurama. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Uh, I I don't know if y'all seen that. Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, deep fake conversation, but I can now only refer to it as the beach that makes you old. I haven't uh, seen it. I've seen the Alex Jones Evangelion reaction, which is <laughs> upsetting to me because of how, like, I'm certain how unedited it is. But I was looking at this movie on Google, and immediately Google's like, can't find what you're looking for? Try searching with your camera. And I'm like, no, Google, are, are you no. trying- Stop. Google, are you trying to say something? This movie, this context is confusing. This movie has plenty to say about uh, racial and social justice and class and government and and shit like that. It does not have room for any sort of LGBT content. It has moderate room for disability, but not, not in any sort of like main way. And also like that's difficulty coming across as feminist, considering the only major female character is a is a rather low class femme fatale. Like you know, she first throws Roddy out a window and then shows, which up is amazing, the, by the way. Love yeah. that stunt. I wouldn't call her low she's class. Just, she's a high class, but she's a low grade. Yeah, that is. Fellow. She lives in the Hollywood Hills. That is a nice house. Well, she takes a fucking nice ass wine bottle. And then just clubs him out the window. Yeah, like that dude goes flying. Like she was playing Dead or Alive or some shit. Like he was flying out that window to the next platform. I mean, flying she is also... shit off of shit is what Roddy Piper did for a living. So yeah. like, I mean, but then she is also depicted as a heartless traitor and murderer. Yes. Yeah, yes, she does. Too. She does. I mean, we know that she knows about all of this stuff. By the end, like we know that like she's been in on it the whole time. That's how she got a house in the Hollywood Hills, which he should have glommed on to. But like, yeah, she does then show up at their terrorist coffee meeting and rat everybody else out to the stormtroopers. Yeah. Which, yeah, the, the literal LAPD stormtroopers are somewhere between frightening and funny to me that they sort of like they just sort of jog around town in battalions of SWAT troopers is like one on the nose but maybe maybe not too much <laughs> one of the few things that this movie did subtly they're just they're just jogging around in, in platoons like they're fucking super fascist you know uh, i mean how like about when like they bulldoze into the secret meeting and it is just a wall of police and guns yeah did you I notice that one of them had a clear. PKE meter? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> that is yes. a PKE meter. It's tracking that it's tracking shows up everywhere. The building with a PKE meter. Doesn't that device show up like three different devices in Star Trek or something too? Probably. Wouldn't surprise me. Probably. I hope whoever invented that thing, that prop, is getting money. I don't think that's how props work. Well, if something else, if they do, then whoever invented those like glowing orange tubes that showed up in a bunch of 80s sci fi movies and also Star Trek. I mean, neon, they got paid. neon stuff was invented, but I don't know. 
Um, neon. Yeah, so they so, they end up like once once they're back together, once they've hung around, they uh, meet up with one of the guys they knew that was one of the guys at the homeless shelter and at the church, and he's like, "Hey, come to this like meeting. We're planning our our terrorism." And so they go, and there's coffee and there's donuts, and it's great until you know Roddy's former kidnappee that he's in love with shows up, and she's like, "Ah, oh, I've seen the." I seen what's really going on here, and then the whole the whole place gets bulldozed. Everybody gets murdered except for the two of them who managed to escape to an alleyway with one of the watches from the uh, aliens, and they don't know how to use it to teleport. But it does get damaged, and when that happens, it creates a passageway into the tunnels under the city that the aliens use, and uh, they end up wandering into a gala that's just going on at that same time where all of the aliens and their this is where we really learn that there's a bunch of humans that are in on it too and are happy to betray all of their people as long as they get money and resources and wealth. So and we the, all... the guy with the Van Dyke that shows up here. Is their bunny Colonel Sanders? Yeah, Colonel Sanders, he says, like, I knew this. He he's treating Roddy like he knows him. So I had to look this up this? on Wicked apparently he was someone who lived in the like uh unhoused camp. Oh, okay. He is another drifter, apparently, according okay. to the Wikipedia page. Because I was also thinking, like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Yeah. He's now Wikipedia a, could be lying. He's got a real Colonel Sanders affect about him, and shows them around the underground because obviously they've been recruited because they're there. Um, yeah. yeah. Big one of Colonel Sanders betrayed the union. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they end up at the TV studio and uh, they decide to shoot their way through the TV studio to try to get to wherever the signal is. It's disguising all of these guys and sending out all the messages that are messing with people's heads. They they fight their way through the TV studio. They find Holly while they're there. They're still Roddy's still convinced that she's a good guy. So they take her with her up to the roof and he's going to go figure out where the signal's coming from. So tells them to stay hidden. No sooner does he walk away than Holly shoots Keith Dave in the back of the head and then he comes out onto the roof and he's like are you guys clear and she's like I am and threatens him with the gun but tries to get him to come with her at which point a helicopter shows up next to them on the roof and uh, they're like throw your gun down he does but then he pulls another one out of his sleeve and shoots her you know they're still going to shoot him so he shoots the satellite dish in the process and it blows up and sparks go everywhere and he Falls to the ground and gives him the finger as he dies because that's how you and go out. And then we out. get tits for some reason because this movie is like, oh shit, we forgot to put tits in it. Fuck, you're not allowed to release an '80s movie without tits. Quick, get something in here. God, yeah, literally, you got to sneak it in right at the post credit tits. Like, yeah, they're, they're this... showing everybody like the signal is going away, so everybody's seeing what the aliens actually look like. And you know, this one woman is is mid-coitus when her boyfriend is revealed to be an alien, or I don't know if he's her Well, boyfriend. that wasn't originally in the movie, but they sent it to the MPAA, and it came back with them being like, where are the tits? We can't, no, like, you yeah. can't NC-17, so they had to, uh, yes, it's like, this is NC-17, so they had to put in tits in order to get a release. So they had to film that. Yeah. We can't sell this without titty. How are we going to get kids to watch it? I'm making a face. I just like the idea that that was part of like the briefly ad- like updated 80s Hayes code. Went from no nudity to require nudity. <laughs> I mean, 70s did something. I mean, Usher in a golden age of film? Yep. And disco. I mean, they all kind of the uh, bass. What can we say? The magical power of bass. Both bass the, is kind the of music. magic when you think about it. It is magic. I do appreciate that there are several scenes in this movie like as he's figuring out that these aliens are everywhere where he sees aliens talking to humans and they're all having a real like Colin Robinson effect on the humans. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, I don't know, man, go for it. I don't know. <laughs> Wearing them down. Yeah, everybody's just like, I just, please. So do we think that science fiction exists in this world? Because all the books just say like, obey and sleep. And, you know, I mean, spend money. Orson's got card right science fiction too. <laughs> Trip, nice. Uh, uh, Take that, Orson Scott card. Yeah, you weird fucking homophobe asshole. Yeah. 
I fucking love this movie. It's ridiculous and funny and much longer than it has any right to be. Because <laughs> especially that first half hour, there's a lot of Roddy Piper looking at things with the same bass riff. It's delightful. I mean, I think it's effective for what that is. Like, you know, that's that you don't need dialogue for character development. I watch A24 movies. I know this. Like, I mean, especially like the character doesn't need a lot of dialogue to come across for what they're going for. Like the look and just whatever the fuck energy it is he's bringing to it, just sell this kind of like, like you said, this almost folkloric nomadic american laborer like i mean i think that the yeah, more dialogue Jones, he man. has like the, the less we're going to be invested in his character so you know like yeah we need yeah he needs to like he belongs <laughs> on postcards not actually talking yeah yeah he is a, he Kurt exists to be with a flag and an eagle Yes, he exists to be the kind of person that a politician points to is like, get on stage and tell you that what a good American you are now. Get off stage so I can take away your health care. Do you remember when we could just put like as this is something that I lament every day in this millennium as an artist and a character designer? That time when you just put sunglasses on something. And it was automatically that. Like, it was automatically that, you know, you felt like you could hear the eagles cawing and squealing overhead. Yeah. yeah. And like, they look so good in those sunglasses. Like, they legitimately look fucking awesome. Except for the first scene when Keith David puts on the glasses. And him and Roddy are just walking down the street looking so fucking stoned. I mean, the glasses do make you apparently make you feel like you're high. I mean, that's what they're going for. It's just an exception to the them looking cool is when they look like they are teenagers who have just ripped a massive blunt. But like the sunglasses. I I do also love the point halfway through the movie when John Carpenter goes, I do want to see their eyes, though. I guess we'll just give them contact lenses in this scene and then they'll just have them the rest of the time. Listen, I was going to say, like, That's the exactly sunglasses what that, that they choose are, like, the biggest, blockiest sunglasses. Like, these things were cool in the 80s, yes. It was the 80s. But, I mean, there were other cool sunglasses in the 80s. Like, you had wraparounds. You could have, like, fucking cyberpunk sunglasses in the 80s. But these specific sunglasses were the ones that they chose. And they were very big and very blocky. I mean, Cool Spot sunglasses were at least like they had curves, you know? You remember Cool Spot? You guys remember Cool Spot? I yeah. don't remember Cool Spot. Cool Spot's Cool Spot's the circle from the seven up can that they put sunglasses on. Oh yeah. <laughs> I play You wanna hear the most game. Not- Hey, y'all ready? Oh yeah, I was about to say y'all ready hit the most nineties fucking sentence. I rented the Cool Spot SNES video game from Blockbuster. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, this shit bled into the 90s, but this was an 80s concept. Did you pay for it with a check? I was five. I don't know how my parents fucking paid for Blockbuster. They probably used cash. Like, the the papers that say, I am your God. (laughs) We got that, and we got a a bizarrely censored Chris Rock comedy, and it was a night on the town at the video rental store blessed though here in sonoma county we had a chain of video stores called video droid and that shit was off the hook i just want to shout out to video droid bless you we miss you every day you were the last yeah kiss i'm pouring one out right now from my white wine glass <laughs> so speaking of hear, oligar- i feel like we're winding down don't hear like the weirdest shit um yeah Ray Nelson, the guy who wrote 8 o'clock in the morning on which his movie is based, also was the inventor of the propeller beanie. Um, He'd actually do that or is that just something he said? While he was still in high school, uh, their varying version of the story, but in uh, 1947, at a uh, small science fiction convention in Cadillac, Michigan, Nelson and some friends were cartooning, parodying science fiction icons of the day. And Nelson found some scraps of plastic and attached them to his hat. Soon they became proudly worn, the feature of science fiction, the science fiction crowd. So 
This man also a cartoonist on top of writing eight o'clock in the morning. Bless him. I hope he's not racist. His name is Radell Faraday Nelson. That's a pretty cool name. We have Faraday in there. Yeah. I wonder if that's a that was the name he was given or if that's a name that he chose. Because that is a science fiction ass name. Ray Faraday? Radell. <laughs> yeah. It's he goes by Ray Nelson, but his name is Radell Faraday Nelson. Yeah. Well, he went. He's dead, obviously. He was born in 1931. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, man. Obviously, he talked not feminist, not very progressive on the queer side, uh, but it definitely has some race and social justice stuff that is still weirdly relevant today. And you can make an argument that this movie got Obama elected. I mean, you could. I wouldn't, but you could make that <laughs> argument. You can make a lot of arguments, though. It doesn't mean that they're correct. Yeah. I will say. I mean, look, there's also the argument that Rowdy Rowdy Piper, but he never made one this good. No. I mean, there's also the argument that Jerry Ryan got Obama elected president. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of things. It's unlike this movie. Things are a bit more complicated. Now, would you guys recommend this film to people? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I literally did. That's why we're here. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, how could you not? Yeah. That's the thing, though, is that there's a lot of movies out there that are bad and are you can make fun of them. This movie doesn't like have a lot of craft like it's this is not the thing. This is not Escape from New York levels of like incredibly crafted science fiction, gritty urban background like this is this movie is super campy. But I will say so, like the special effects in the black and white stuff like not i mean the masks for one but also the little like alien drones and stuff are really well done for what they are at the time like john carpenter knows how to make some good fucking special effects i mean they they don't look as good in this movie i'm sure that the craft is of the actual items is fine it's just whatever like however this movie is shot because it also comes out in the character like in all of the makeup and everything like there's some weird lighting stuff that's going on that makes everything just like a little funky, a little plastic looking. But that said, this movie is fun and memorable and it has something cool to say. You know, it's barely horror. It's more just like political cartoon, but with a little bit more, like a little bit, it's political cartoon. I want to say more about that, but it's there's not a lot you can really say because it's just, it's very straightforward and very fun that way. Yeah. And its themes are also very obvious. Yeah. So obvious, even Nazis don't get them. Huh? Yes. Like Nazis and art is, the problem isn't art, it's Nazis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a certain kind of person that will just project what they want on something regardless of its message. And, you know, I believe Nazis fit into that category because how else can you live that way? But I think that's the real message of tonight is, Nazis are bad. Well, that too. So, if you were listening to this episode and you were a Nazi, I hope we've convinced you to not be a Nazi. Yeah, do not. Don't. You'll enjoy life so much more if you just calm down and just fuck their lives. Live. I'll enjoy my life more if there are less Nazis. Win-win. Win-win. I'm saying, like, less Nazis better for everybody. So, what do we recommend if you like this movie? So I have a very strong recommendation and it's a movie we've already covered, but I think if you like this movie and you want something that is both very action driven and manages to be both incredibly fun and have very similar and well executed messages, I'm going to recommend Mayhem starring Stephen Yeun and mm. Samara Weaving. Hell yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, we have talked about it on here, so look it up when you do. It's on our litter box. It's pretty high. Yep. It's a good movie. I'll go. Yeah. I suppose. Go for it. Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of what a lot of things that came to mind when I was watching the movie that I wrote down. I mean, you watch the thing. If you really like to watch Keith David running around with dudes and mullets, I mean it's a good movie. It's very different. But if you want a movie that is that also or a show or just like a thing that came out of the 80s that is also highly critical of television. And doesn't involve so much body horror as Videodrome. Go check out Max Headroom, 20 Minutes into the Future, or the Max Headroom series starring Matt Frewer. 
I think he was in the Mac 20 Minutes into the Future, which is from 1985. Max Headroom was Matt Frewer with makeup on his head to make him look like he was made out of CG, but he wasn't. Very little of Max Headroom was actually CG, but it predicted a lot of stuff about where media was going. It talked a lot about subliminal messaging and the power of corporate media and the classism in corporate media and like in advertising, especially in a fun kind of underrated cyberpunk setting. And also the Max Headroom incident that Max Headroom inspired that also inspired the like whole scenario of hacker, like the hacker taking over the um, the TV channel here is very much inspired by the Max Headroom incident where somebody in a Max Headroom mask did take over a TV channel and say a bunch of crazy shit. So check that, just look that up. It's on YouTube. But yeah, check out Max Headroom. It's also funny. Yeah. Check out Max Hedger. That's cool. What I would say is that if you enjoyed Roddy Roddy Piper, almost no other movies that he made are very good. You can watch How Comes to Frogtown if you want. But also living in the blessed era of YouTube, you can just go on and search for uh, Roddy Piper's greatest promos and see all of his uh, interviews and shit on wrestling where he would just he was a villain for most of his time and would absolutely just talk shit about anybody. And he's great. So like you can, you know, sit down and watch a bunch of, you know, two, three, five minute bits of him just tearing people apart. He's fantastic. I mean, if you if you like I came to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm gonna the bubblegum, that's like just a sampling of what most of his his promos were like. So you can check that out. He's got some good matches out there if you want to watch. They're you know, mostly a bit older because obviously he's dead, so he's not wrestling anymore. His daughter, Teal Piper, uh, wrestles for uh, women of wrestling in, in Chicago these days. So you can check out her wrestling. She uh, does some stuff occasionally other places, but she's fantastic as well. She's still out there kicking people's asses. So check her out. And she's all out of gum. Yes. She never had any. Her father didn't leave her any. Oh, no. Well, you know. She just had to kick asses. That's why trickle down doesn't work. <laughs> Speaking of Reaganomics. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, you know, it's important to conserve your gum. But also sometimes you can, and you know, you can kick ass and chew bubble gum at the same time. It's called multitasking. I mean, you may swallow it accidentally. I mean, they didn't invent multitasking. To be fair, it is a choking hazard doing both at the same time. So maybe don't multi those tasks. It's true. Yeah, I think that about wraps it up for this one. If you guys want to find us online, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter at Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all their books and pre-order L. Campbell wins their weekend, their debut graphic novel or their debut novel from Scholastic. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and on my website at JeremyWhitley.com where you can find everything I write and you can... Uh, pre-order my book, The Dog Night, which is a graphic novel. It's coming out in May. So and of course, it's not super graphic. It's I mean, not like... Yeah. It's not as graphic as the end of this movie. <laughs> no, nothing is. Saw what you did there. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified. Our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod, where we would love to hear from you. And we would love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it now. Giving it five stars helps more people find us and they can learn also about the value of They Live and what an important film it is. Obey. Yeah. Five stars. Thank you guys so much for joining (laughs) me. Uh, This has been a a great birthday watch. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for being you. Thank you for living. um... Happy birthday. Uh, It was between this and watching the... uh, Doom a movie with Carl Urban and the Rock. So we'll just have to save that one for another time. Okay. So when you're 30. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm kind of pretty excited for that one. Too. I, yeah, me too. Honestly. Yeah. I fucking love that movie. It is underrated. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Also, from that, you know, that temporary era where The Rock was willing to be on screen with other people. <sighs> yeah. 
For those of you a few months from now, when you're listening to this, we are recording this not long after Shazam 2 has come out in theaters. So there is your context. What? Oh, Shazam 2. Sorry. I always get that one What did you think I said? I thought you meant Kazam. What? If only. Starring if only Kazam 2 was coming out. I know. I think Dwayne Johnson would be in that. that. But Shaq, though, Shaq would still have to be there. Like... Yeah, he'd Maybe. be the other Kazam. There's two Kazams now. There's Yo, the Rock and Shaq. They've been talking about some like surprise cameos in the Flash. Fucking Shaquille O'Neal Steel comes out. That'd be great. Shaquille O'Neal Steel. <laughs> yeah, that's good. good that's shit. what I'm talking about. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. They should have done that for Crisis on Infinite. That would have been so funny in Crisis on Infinite Earths if they got Shaquille O'Neal for the CW. Do you know what uh, Shaq did some some wrestling as well? I I didn't, but I believe it. My my favorite thing. This is I love this fact. Is this real? Uh, Shaq wrestled at uh, an AEW for a little bit. He he actually like promoted alongside Jade Cargill, who was one of the current women's champions, and they did a mixed tag match in which um, Cody Rhodes knocked him off of the apron of the ring and threw a table. And Shaq was so hurt by this that they had to put him in a, put him on a stretcher and wheel him to an ambulance. And then, like, one of the announcers went to interview him at the ambulance, and they opened the door to the ambulance, and Shaq wasn't there. And they haven't followed up on this story in the years since this happened. <laughs> like, so there's, no like, a mystery Shaq? Shaq disappeared and has never been seen again, as far as AEW lore goes. Amazing. <laughs> I mean... If you're gonna if you're gonna build lore God that way, bless. I think that that is that's valid. Yeah, Shaq Shaq was never seen again, as far as we know. But yet, John Cena is never seen. Yeah, ever can't see him. Yeah, and and it works out for what it's worked out well for Cody because he's in WWE now and is about to wrestle for the championship in WrestleMania. So good for him. I don't know any of this, but I'm d- I'm down to hear all about it for real though. But maybe not today because yeah. I want to eat dinner. <laughs> All right. Well, y'all, until next Night time, up, everyone. Stay horrified. And I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs>